Hi, this is John By the Way, and today I'm looking at Matthew chapter 28 in the Come Follow Me lesson curriculum. It also mentions Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21. In these little podcasts, I've generally given about a 15 to 20 minute type little things, some things that stand out to me that are important. Well, in Matthew 28, I suppose my favorite verses are first verse 6. What the angel said, he is not here for he is risen as he said. I like the as he said part. He had been telling them and telling them what was going to happen, but that he would rise again. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And when I have opportunities to go to the Holy Land and to go to the garden tomb, which is one of the one of the possible sites, at least a good place to remember what happened, or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's always nice to read Matthew 28, 6. Come see the place where the Lord lay and suggest that we are all trying to follow that invitation and that's why we've come. We want to see where he was. We want to see that the tomb is is empty. There was, if you go to the garden tomb, there's a group of different denominations who run it. I think they're all volunteers. Very, very nice little little site because you kind of go away from the busyness of the the city and into this garden area. And our tour guide there, the first time I was there, I don't know his name, he said something really nice. I actually transcribed it from a video I took. He said, outside the garden tomb, he said, you're welcome to go in there. You won't find Jesus in there, but you can take him in with you if you like. But if you take him in, please bring him out because we don't want him left in the tomb. Maybe take him home and introduce him to your family and friends who don't quite know him yet. Because one day he's going to take us up to meet his family. And they say a good disciple does what he sees his master doing. I liked that idea. We don't want him left in the tomb. And that is what a lot of the world has done. They may acknowledge that there was a Jesus of Nazareth, but they may just group him in along with other moral teachers or philosophers. But Jesus was different. Our belief is that not only was Jesus a great moral teacher, but he actually healed people. He actually did miracles. The greatest of all, he was resurrected. He rose again from the dead. We can't say that about anyone else that came back from the dead the way that Jesus did. The first one to be resurrected. So I like that phrase. Please don't leave him in the tomb. It reminds me of, and if you're listening on Howard Turtle House, you know we do the Christmas thing, and I I love to talk about the three levels of Christmas, the Santa Claus level, the baby Jesus, and even then the, the author of that, the three levels of Christmas, William B. Smart, said, someone leave Christ in the manger. And just, oh, I'm okay with the baby Jesus, but I don't want to go past that. Because he actually grew up and he started giving commandments and giving us things to do and boundaries and everything. And some people are more comfortable with the baby Jesus, but not the adult Christ. Well, here's the adult Christ, and our tour guide said, don't leave him in the tomb, because he's not there. And he came out. And, you know, some will have theories, oh, the Jews stole his body. I mean, 
And the scriptures tell us that that's reported till this day. In Matthew 28, verse 13, let's see, let me start in verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, the guards, came into the city and shewed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, so they're paying them to tell a lie. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they're paying him to lie and we'll lie for you too. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. At least the day that the book of Matthew was written. So they want to leave him in the tomb, but he wasn't left in the tomb. Now, speaking of Matthew 28, verse 6, he is risen as he said. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, These are the most reassuring words in all of human history. Death, universal and final, had now been conquered. Of all the victories in the chronicles of humanity, none is so great, none so universal in its effects, none so everlasting in its consequences as the victory of the crucified Lord who came forth from the tomb that first Easter morning. So, uh, great words. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Now, President Howard W. Hunter said this, Without the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes a litany of wise sayings and seemingly unexplainable miracles, but sayings and miracles with no ultimate triumph. No, the ultimate triumph is in the ultimate miracle. For the first time in the history of mankind, one who was dead raised himself into living immortality. He was the Son of God, the Son of our immortal Father in heaven, and his triumph over physical and spiritual death is the good news every Christian tongue should speak. One of the things that I talk with my son about who's on a mission as, as I'm recording this. He has people that say, well, okay, you know, thanks, but we're Christians. Why are you trying to convert other Christians? Which is always an interesting question to try to answer. Why don't you go to some place where people don't believe in Christ? And our answer is always, what? Well, Christ has come again. He's appeared on the earth again. He actually visited the Americas, would you be interested in reading another testament of Christ that he was here? Another thing that we might add is what has sometimes been called the Great Commission. This is the last two verses of Matthew 28, the last two verses of Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. A couple of things about this is an article of faith of ours is that we believe, we claim the privilege of worshiping the Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all other men the same privilege to worship how, where, or what they may. hope I got that right. But along with that, we also have this commission to go and teach all nations. So we're trying to, to say, 
If you would love to hear our message, we would love to share it. But we claim the privilege of worshiping God and allow you the same thing. So I like the statements, and I've sent this to my son on his mission, of Joseph Smith and Gordon B. Hinckley. President Gordon B. Hinckley say, Let me say that we appreciate the truth in all churches and the good which they do. We say to the people, in effect, You bring with you all the good that you have, and then let us see if we can add to it. That is the spirit of this work. That is the essence of our missionary service. And Joseph Smith Jr. said, We don't ask any people to throw away any good they have got. We only ask them to come and get more. That's from Teachings of the Presidents of the Church, Joseph Smith, page 155. That was the the manual that we used in Relief Society and Priesthood a few years back. Now, there's so much here to cover. In John chapter 20 and 21, we have Jesus appearing at the tomb and saying, Woman, why weepest thou? And then calling her Mary. I love that someone pointed out the Book of Mormon begins with a name, I, Nephi. The restoration begins with God speaking a name, Joseph. This is my beloved son. The resurrection begins with Mary. It's a very one-by-one type message. But in John 20 and 21, Jesus goes to Galilee and finds them fishing. But in John 20, this is what I wanted to mention. John 20, verse 27. Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but be believing. One of the questions my students have often often asked is, as we define resurrection, everything kind of made new again, how come Jesus still has wounds? Which is a great question. Here's what Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said. Even though the power of the resurrection could have, and undoubtedly one day will have, completely restored and made new the wounds from the crucifixion, nevertheless, Christ chose to retain those wounds for a purpose, including for his appearance in the last days when he will show those marks and reveal that he was wounded in the house of his friends. Continuing, the wounds in his hands, feet, and side are signs that in mortality, painful things happen even to the pure and the perfect. Signs that tribulation is not evidence that God does not love us. It is a significant and hopeful fact that it is the wounded Christ who comes to our rescue. He who bears the scars of sacrifice, the lesions of love, the emblems of humility and forgiveness, is the captain of our soul. That evidence of pain and mortality is undoubtedly intended to give courage to others who are also hurt and wounded by life, perhaps even in the house of their friends. That's from Elder Holland's book called Christ and the New Covenant. It's basically a commentary on the Book of Mormon, and that's pages 258 and 259. And the last thing I wanted to mention as we're looking at these chapters is the story in Luke 24. That is also that chapter is also included in this lesson plan on the road to Emmaus. As disciples are walking along and Jesus draws near. What are these what are these communication? What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Luke twenty four, seventeen. And they say, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? 
has not known the things which are come to pass in these days? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him? We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these, since these things were done. So they had the expectation that Jesus would be that political Messiah, perhaps. But he was killed, and they were disappointed. And Jesus says to them, verse 25, O fools, slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, the part that I love about this story, we had this painting in our house growing up of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize him. It says their eyes were holden in verse 16 of Luke 24. But I love verse 32. They said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? We have in a couple of different places this idea of the Spirit burning in our hearts. So one of those is section 9 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And one of those is here in Luke 24. But I don't know how common that is. Years ago, I wrote a little book called How Do I Know If I Know? And in that book, I quoted President Dallin H. Oaks, who said that he has met adult members of the church who said they don't have a testimony because they've never felt a burning in the bosom. And I think I'm so glad he said that because that's important. Not all of us feel it that way. The Doctrine and Covenants mentions it once in section 9, but in half a dozen other places, it speaks of, I will enlighten your mind. That too is the way the Spirit works. Things just become clear, gives you great clarity. And you kind of think, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to, to stop doing. In another place, let's see, this is your March 1997 Ensign Magazine. Elder Dallin H. Oaks said, What does a burning in the bosom mean? Does it need to be a feeling of caloric heat, like the burning produced by combustion? If that is the meaning... I have never had a burning in the bosom. I just, I love that he would say that as President Oaks, today President Oaks saying, I have never had a burning in the bosom. Surely the word burning in this scripture signifies a feeling of comfort and serenity. That is the witness many receive. That is the way revelation works. Now I know people who have felt that kind of feeling. I think I have a couple of times. Not everybody does and that's okay. Here's President Oak saying, I've never had that. And I think maybe we overinterpret it sometimes. Have you ever heard somebody say, that is a heartwarming story? Well, do they literally mean their heart got warm? Maybe. <laughs> maybe it's just a heartwarming story. So there's different ways that the Spirit might work. And I'm grateful that these, this verse is not the only way that we can feel the Spirit, our heart burning but I feel like there's lots of different ways, and including clarity, enlighten your mind, enlarging the soul, to use the Alma 32 phrase, or it begins to be delicious. You hear something and you think, wow, I've never heard that before, but I like it. 
Okay, the last thing I wanted to mention is Luke 24, verse 44. We often hear the phrase in the scriptures, the law and the prophets. Jesus said the great commandment is love God, love your neighbor. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Well, when we're speaking of the law and the prophets, we're talking about books. The law is the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets are like Ezekiel, Isaiah, the prophetic books. And then there's, there's also poetry-type books, like Psalms and Proverbs. Well, one of the last verses of Luke kind of gives a nod to those books. Look at Luke 24, verse 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the Law of Moses, and in the Prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. If you listen to the last episode, we noted how many of the statements that Jesus made on the Golgotha, things that happened to him in those events in Gethsemane and on Golgotha, are mentioned in Psalms 22. We looked at Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53 and saw how many of those things were prophetic that happened. And so I appreciate that, that Jesus says, yes, look at the law, look at the prophets, and look at the Psalms, and you'll see the prophecies about me. Well, thank you for joining me. We will begin, I believe, the book of Acts next time. We'll see you then. 